Thanks, everybody. Good evening. It is great to be back in East London um, with my family. Uh, we were in Port Elizabeth this morning. Um, actually, last weekend we were in Port Elizabeth as well at uh, uh, City Lights Church. And this Sunday, this morning, we were at um, Covenant Grace Church. And a lot of, lot of the members and leaders from those two churches are coming through to be with us here in East London uh, Friday night and Saturday morning. So they're all in good hearts uh, in Port Elizabeth. We're really well. Um, the five of us, you'll see our three teenage boys are around uh, next weekend. It's a privilege to be here with you, and I'm so excited about the week ahead. We've got some leaders' days midweek, and then we're all together here Friday night and uh, Saturday morning. And then it's all a warm-up, Arno, to be at your church Sunday morning. Can't wait to be with you, and then I'm back here preaching here um, Sunday night, uh, so looking forward to that. I've got uh, lots of other family-ish things I'd love to tell you, but we'll uh, have more time for that next Friday night and Saturday morning. So we're going to get straight into an extraordinary encounter that Jesus had with a woman, uh, a mother, and it's found in Matthew 15. So could you please turn or swipe to Matthew 15? And uh, whilst you're going there, just want to say to Dane and the, the musicians, you led us so helpfully. Um, I don't know if you did this planned or you just did it intuitively, but um, Matt, the great worship leader, Matt Redman, he says worship is breathing in who God is and then breathing out our response to him. And it so happened this evening that we had several songs about who God is and what he's done for us. And then towards the end, we were able to uh, consecrate and surrender. And it was just such skillful, helpful worship leading. I find that if we consecrate too early, you kind of got nothing to breathe out. You know, if, if, if we're breathing in who God is and then breathing out our response to him, and if we haven't breathed in, you, you're like, <laughs> and, and that can be the picture of the Christian life generally. You know, if, if as believers we're uh, not breathing in, not drinking in enough, um, as this word that Joe brought, if the tap isn't on and we're not drinking of God's mercy and grace, we're not going to be full, and so the Christian walk is going to feel like a bit of a chore instead of an absolute privilege, and you'll find yourself running out of gas and uh, staying full of Jesus. In fact, Joe, I don't know if he sneaked to look at my sermon notes, but he preached, he prophesied what I'm about to preach. This is, this is an encounter a woman has with God's kindness and God's mercy. And it's, it's, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, let's read together. Matthew 15, 21. And Jesus went away from there. And, and don't miss a word of this. It's unbelievable. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region, a non-Israelite from that region, came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Next sentence. Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. For she's crying out after us. Have <laughs> you got the picture? So let's imagine I'm Jesus. Stretch your imagination. I'm Jesus. You're the disciples. Uh, a crying woman. 
comes crashing through the doors. She's late for the meeting. She comes crashing through. and She says, I hear you people know God. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And she looked looking to me because I look like the guy in charge at the moment. And I don't say a word to her. It gets worse. You lot then say, PJ, send her away. She's making a racket. And Jesus then did speak and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So remember, Jesus' mission on earth was to Israel. Then he would commission his boys to take the gospel to non-Israelites. So the order was Jews first, Gentiles later, once he had ascended to heaven. The question is, is Jesus going to stick to the plan or make an exception? But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, it's not right to take the children's bread, i.e. ministry to the Israelites. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, don't call me a dog, no. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. How cool. She says, okay, game on. If I'm a dog, that makes you a master, and you will give your dog food. Then Jesus said, O woman, how great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Okay, it's all happening here. We've got a great cast. We've got, we got the desperate woman. <laughs> we've got Jesus playing hard to get. And we've got the sidekick disciples acting like a bunch of buffoons. We've got a magnificent script, top-notch verbal jousting. And we've got a great climax. This, the feisty underdog wins the day with the mercy of, of Jesus on full display. Three quick warm-up points before we get to the main points. Because um, as preachers, you're taught, go for three points. So I'm just smuggling in three. So it's not really six. It's three main points, but just three warm-up points. Warm-up point number one, note that hardship can be a blessing. Do you think she would have reached for Jesus, approached Jesus, if it hadn't been for this trauma in her life? I think not myself. Sickness isn't a good thing unless it leads us to Jesus. Being oppressed by a demon isn't a good thing unless it leads us to Jesus. We can too quickly rubbish what some people call crutch Christianity, which is when you come to Christ in a divorce attorney's office or uh, ICU of a hospital uh, or a prison cell saying, you know, that's not legit. It's just your need, you know, that's making you become a Christian. No, 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 let's just be clear on this. The trauma or the, the suffering doesn't create our need for God. It does reveal our need for God. And nothing is better than having our need for God revealed. Nothing is worse than living spiritually indifferent in life, not getting with the plot that we're made by God, designed to worship God, we're fulfilled when we're worshiping God. Nothing is worse than living spiritually indifferent lives and then spending a Christless eternity. 
and standard God operating tactics. It's again and again in Scripture. We can ask one another. You'll find the answer again and again. God will kindly allow some temporary suffering to come our way to avert some eternal suffering. If through being slapped around by the circumstances of life or a demon, God permitting that, if the result is we get our act together and we work out that Jesus Christ is Lord and we start to follow him, then that suffering is a blessing. And I'm not saying this in a callous way. Our family has experienced bereavement and cancer and, and things. And if you're in a tough time at the moment, I'm not, I'm not wanting to be a bully to you. I know the pain of it, but zoom out. God often is kind enough to get our attention through some kind of pain. And don't kid yourself, you would not give him your attention if it wasn't for that. Because you're a proud, stuck-up Westerner like myself. And we so often need a bit of a... to just put us on our backs. It's often when things are terrible that we reach for God. So if you're, as, as Matt was saying, if you're here exploring Christianity and you've got some significant difficulty in your life, some sort, I would put money on it being God trying to get your attention. If you're a believer already and you've got tough stuff going on, I'm certain that whatever the various reasons, ultimately you have a Father in heaven who's permitting this because he wants you. He wants more of you. And he gets more of you when you're under pressure. Because we run to God. Son of David, have mercy on me. Warm-up point number two. Note the reality of demonic oppression. Details not given. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if it was a mental thing or some, some kind of <sighs> night terrors. I don't know if it was a self-destructive streak. I don't know if it was a more conventional physical sickness. The Bible teaches that some sickness is from the devil, not all is from the devil. It's another message. We, details not given, except that this was severe enough to get this mother to run to Jesus. Application for us, friends, we do not live in a demilitarized zone. God is real. The devil's real. He plays mean and nasty Hasn't heard of the Geneva Convention. He steals, kills, and destroys. Sometimes he even goes after the kids. He is a meanie. He'll go after kids. The great news is, Jesus wins. We can bring our kids, we can bring ourselves to Jesus. He is more powerful than anything the devil's got. Uh, I, I was actually doing this passage just as just a five-minute little encouragement to some leaders in Cape Town a few months ago. And one of the couples said, this is us. And they've got five kids. They've adopted two. Their little adopted boy who's four. They've said for nine months, this kid has had night terrors every night. They say he looks haunted during the day. They, they didn't know what to do. And so we, we, we did what they did in this passage here in prayer. Even though the kid wasn't present with us, we brought that kid to Jesus in prayer with, with this couple. This was in April. I checked with them recently. That very night onwards... He hasn't had one bad night's sleep. Not one night terror. This little four-year-old boy's back to normal. He was healed. In that very moment, he was healed. Warm-up point number three. Note the horror of an introspective non-missional church. Did you notice the disciples had their little Jesus club going? 
and they didn't really want anybody else to join. So when the sick woman, when the crying woman with the red eyes with the sick kid comes in, they say, I quote, Lord, send her away. She's crying out after us. Now, it's not clear whether they meant she's being a nuisance to send her away or heal her quick and send her away because she's a nuisance. Either way, would someone please tell them that Christians exist to help other people become Christians? That it's a very big deal for us individually and as churches not to be very front-footed in helping other people explore and receive the claims and teachings of Christ. Send her away, Lord. She's crying out after us. I'm so glad I'm not like the disciples. Oh, hang on. Maybe I am. Because whilst I haven't used that phrase, I've thought or used other phrases. Like, oh, I can't believe it. I haven't got time for this now. I just don't have the energy for him now. Oh, I can't believe it. This, the effort of making friends with Maintaining friendships, developing friendships with non-Christians. It's exhausting. <laughs> so, whilst, you know, I'm pointing at these disciples, I've got several fingers pointing back at me. As ch- I don't know about you, maybe you're... I hope you're doing better. But watch out. As churches, if we think of churches as both the family of God, looking after each other as believers, and the army of God, helping other people come into the family of God, family, army, and the Bible says we need to be both both pastoral and evangelistic, I've found we need to emphasize this one 75% if we're going to keep them in balance. Because we're naturally better at looking after each other. Pastoral care. We naturally find it tougher individually and collectively to help people come to faith. So we need to bias what we do here. Because this is more important. No, they're both important. 75%, 25%. That's what keeps us balanced, I've found. So those are enough warm-up points. Um, What's the main point of this passage? A good practice when we're reading a passage of Scripture is to say, is there a main point? And sometimes there are several main points. Sometimes there's just one. This one, there's one main point. There's subsidiary things we can learn, but Jesus himself tells us, the main point, why, surely why Matthew put this in. Verse 28, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. That's the climax. That's why it's there. This is a, this is a lesson in great faith. In fact, this, this word great is from the root word mega, which we're familiar with. He's literally saying to this mummy, you've got mega faith. This is a master class in mega faith. Uh, class is now in session. Three master class points. Main points. Main point number one, great faith perseveres. This mummy is something, is she not? So this is what happens. She asks Jesus for help. She's met with silence. Then it seems that she overhears Jesus explaining to his disciples that he's got some kind of temporary restraint of trade on miracles for Jews at the moment. She overhears that. Then She asks Jesus again. This time she's kneeling. She gets rebuffed and called a dog. Directly or indirectly, your choice. She's called a dog. Then, instead of giving up or getting offended, she says, game on. Woof. 
I'm a dog. I'll take it because dogs get crumbs from masters. If I'm a dog, that makes you my master. And at that point, Jesus just says, and Matthew, if he was listening or heard about it, I think at that point, Matthew thought, this, this, this one is going down. <laughs> Chapter 15, this one's going in the book. If she's a dog, I'm thinking she's a bulldog. Bulldogs have their nose slanted backwards so they can breathe whilst they're holding on to something. And they've got this mechanism apparently in their jaws when they can literally lock on. So if you're a bulldog, you can hold on to something and just keep breathing and hold on to it. You just... She's like that. She's a bulldog. But let's just uh, zoom out for a second. Why did Jesus keep quiet? Was, he, was it rude? Disinterested? I'm, I'm sure I read in the sinless, loving Messiah's handbook, when a crying woman with a sick daughter comes to you, answer her. Why did he keep silent? Answer. It was a common rabbinic rabbi rabbinic technique to keep quiet when your students were questioning you. You did it for two reasons. Firstly, you didn't want to short circuit the, f the correct forming of their opinions. And secondly, you wanted to keep them engaged. If as a rabbi you come down too quick with what's right and what's wrong and the answer to his question, Conversation finished, and they haven't learned as much. But by keeping quiet and drawing them out. Now then, this woman, and this will be particularly helpful for those of us who are in a similar place to this woman, which is thinking Jesus might be God, but not absolutely sure. This woman had a big, legit need in her life. And so she thinks, I need help. So she goes to the God guy. And she asks him for help. If Jesus had just, yes, he would have reinforced her partially correct view of who God was, but not fully correct view. Kindly, God usually doesn't answer the big prayers of a not-quite-yet-Christian because he doesn't want to reinforce in your mind the reductionist view of God which you have, which is he's the, the slot machine in the sky, and you stick in your prayer, and you pull the lever, and you get an answer. A healed daughter, a help for your marriage, a new job. Now, it's not that God doesn't heal. We've seen he does heal. He does bless, but he's a whole lot more than the healing, blessing God. So he keeps quiet. And he wanted to reel her in. And now this isn't rocket science. We do this instinctively as parents. My eldest son, Jack, who's 18, is, for the last year has been talking about what he should do for a career. And he's gone through about five major career possibilities in the last year. I've kept, I've kept quiet he says, yeah, what about the Royal Marines, Dad? I say, that's, that's an interesting thought. He wants me to say, definitely, let's fill in the paperwork now. I don't. Dad, what about that? I say, that's, that's interesting. 
I, I'm not coming in too soon. I want to draw, and he keeps coming back. He keeps talking more. See, this woman wants her daughter healed, but Jesus wants this woman and her daughter healed. She's after her daughter being healed. He's after her. And if he answers prayers too quick, yeah, we get that thing, but he doesn't get us. Dear friends, God's delay is never prejudicial. It's always beneficial. So long as we don't give up. You've got to persevere. Do not take God's silence for rejection. Take it as invitation. Admittedly, this is hard for us modern-day urban Westerners to hear because our culture, unlike other cultures around the earth today and unlike previous cultures, our culture shuns and despises perseverance. Most things in our culture are get it quick, whether it's a microwave to a two ticks that you've got to reply to very quickly on your social media device. Everything's geared for hurry up. So it's hard, for, just know, sitting here, it's hard to hear. Culturally, it's harder for our culture to hear this teaching of perseverance. Because we, we're just programmed against it. But perseverance is a critical component of knowing God. It's not prejudicial. It's always beneficial. Perseverance always produces good things in Scripture. In fact, you're hard-pressed to find someone who was blessed by God, used by God, who didn't really persevere. I mean, you go back to the father of our faith, Father Abraham, and uh, he had to wrestle with God on various things. He wrestled with God to not strike Sodom. Remember God said, hey, Abraham, I'm going to take out Sodom. And Abraham said, but if I can find 50 solid righteous people, will you still strike Sodom? God says, no way, of course I won't. God, Abraham's wrestling. He's saying, Lord, what about 40? God says, sure. 30, sure. He's learning about God's mercy. We don't learn stuff about God unless we're up close, unless there's a wrestle involved. I do this, I did this more when they were younger because they're big now, but like, like Sam, my youngest, when he was like four years old, blonde, chubby, cuddly, I would like buy a packet of wine gums, you know, the eight rand ones. <laughs> and I'd, I'd, <laughs> he'd be on the couch, I'd be on the couch. I'd say, Sam, you want them? Come and get them if you can. And he gets his, you know, four-year-old, I'm going to wrestle my dad. And we wrestle for three minutes. He's after the sweets. I'm after him. When a four-year-old boy wrestles cuddles with his dad for three minutes, he's a much better boy at the end of it. He's like got something of his dad in him. He thinks it's wrestling. I think it's cuddling. He, he gets the sweets, but I get him and he gets me. When we don't wrestle, we don't appreciate we, it. We lose things in God. You think of Elisha having to wrestle with Elijah. Do you know that story? Elisha said, I, I want to be as good a... Christ follows you. I want to be as good a leader as you. And, he's, and three times Elijah says no. And three times Elijah says, yes, I'm sticking with you. There was a wrestling. There was a valuing. 
so many. Jacob wrestled with God. Literally, he wrestled with God in the form of an angel. God in the form of a, the Son of Man. Some, something, details not given. But in the night, he wrestled with God for the, for the night. He got his hip out of joint. He walked with a limp. But he was a better man for wrestling with God. I think my favorite is from the New Testament, Matthew 20. You've got two blind guys. They hear that Jesus is passing, that he can heal. These two blind oaks cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Similar to this woman. Have mercy on us. The crowd say, shut up. It says, and they cried out all the more. How are you? How are you doing in that? What, what when prayer isn't answered? When the crowd shouts, shut up. When people say, oh, I've heard stories about how it's impossible to get healed or get a visa or whatever it is. Do you just keep quiet? Our response should be, they cried out all the more. When we pray for East London, how do we pray? We cry out all the more. It's so cool in the prayer meeting. When someone prays a prayer, you know, you're praying in whatever form you're praying in. and Someone says, let's, let's, pray for, let's pray for our unsaved mates in East London. And maybe Dane prays a prayer. And maybe Kerry prays another prayer. And then we think we'll leave it. And then someone says, hey, can we just pray a bit more into this? Can we get into groups and pray? You think we've just prayed? No, no, no. And they cried out all the more. Come on. This is the way we pray. So that's point number one. Great faith perseveres. Faith is not in contradiction to persevering. Don't take God's silence as prejudicial. Take it as beneficial. Don't take it as rejection. Take it as invitation. Mega faith point number two, great faith locks on to Jesus' power. What do you make of her request for mere crumbs? So she brought up the crumbs bit. You know, Jesus says, you know, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. So Jesus is talking bread and she goes for crumbs. Did any of you think, show some self-respect, dear lady, don't ask for crumbs. Who asks for crumbs? Did any of you think you should have taken a negotiating skills course? You know, he offers, if he does, he offers a slice of bread. You demand a three-course meal and you settle on a steak. Don't start here. And anyway, everybody knows that crumbs aren't enough to feed a dog. Crumbs. Dog. Well, that depends on whose table these crumbs come from. It depends on whose loaf these crumbs come from. And I think the Holy Spirit was obviously working in her. In this conversation, in this whole connection, helping her understand that he wasn't just a miracle worker. He was, he was truly God. And I think she instinctively, helped by the Spirit, knew that crumbs from this guy would be enough. And this was often the pattern in the Gospels, that when people met face to face with Jesus, and, and although he's not in the room in his physical form, he's, he's in the room by his Holy Spirit now. We can enjoy and know face-to-face -face with Jesus. When people came face-to-face -face with Jesus, often 
They asked for a tiny bit because they knew it would, from him it would be enough. You think of the centurion who had a sick servant. He sent a delegation to Jesus saying, don't even worry about coming to my house. Just say the word. One word. What? A word from over there. Enough for a sick servant. It depends who says the word. The woman with the issue of blood, she'd been bleeding for 18 years. She said to herself, if I can just touch his, his garment. Garment, well, it depends whose garment it is. Word, it depends who says the word. Crumbs, it depends whose table they come from. What's the point here? The point here is very important. Faith is not a fuzzy feeling. It's not even positive thinking, although it is positive thoughts. But essentially, faith isn't positive thinking. And faith isn't faith in faith. The Bible says a lot about the importance of faith. But we can cross a line and think, okay, if I have faith, that's going to do it. No, we don't have faith in faith. If I pray a lot, that's going to do it. Well, prayer's good and faith's good, but it's not faith in faith. It's not faith in prayer. It's faith in Jesus. Expressed through prayer, expressed through faith, but it's faith in Jesus. It's not, and, and even hone it into Jesus. God is fine. God is the biblical name used mostly for the Father, but also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we can have faith in God, but I would encourage you, lock on to Jesus' power. The Bible says everything was created was through. Now, if you pray to God and the Father, that's absolutely fine. They're one. They're three, but they're, they're, they're one. But faith locks onto Jesus' power. It's, it's, Lord, you, you, Jesus, you, the God-man on earth who's now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. It's you who has power to heal my sick daughter. It's you who has power to come through in my work, job, finance situation. It's you, Jesus. It's not positive. It's you. Lock onto, she locked onto Jesus' power, not to spirituality. Not to aura. Often it starts like that. If you know C.S. Lewis's story, he started as an atheist, believing there was no higher power. Then he developed to thinking, you know, there is a higher power, but he didn't know who it was. And finally, he went from being a deist, thinking there is a God, to, to being a Christ follower. Jesus is the one true God. It's faith in Jesus. Jesus is the answer for you, your situation, your church, this city. Jesus is the answer. And main point number three. Reference Joe's prophetic word during the worship from the Lord. Standing under God's grace and mercy. Great faith locks onto God's grace. And this, this is a bit of a mind bender. But it's vital that we don't think, even once we're Christians, we don't think that we get stuff from God because we've done well. Faith locks onto you are kind. You are gracious. That's who you are inherently. Let's, let's just unpack this a bit. Um, but we can't dodge the elephant in the room or the dog in the room. Uh, why did Jesus call her a dog? Now, you could say he wasn't really, I think he was. 
And he might have had a glint in his eye, but seriously? Isn't that chapter 2 in the Sinless Loving Messiah's Handbook? Don't call women dogs. Don't even hint that they're dogs. So what's going on? Um, as a preacher, when you get to a particularly tricky passage of Scripture, you are wise to turn to what we call commentaries, which are books people have written with their comments on various passages of Scripture. So I went to about five or six of the most respected commentaries on the book of Matthew, and it's very funny. They scramble to try and make Jesus not look quite so bad. Um, and their favorite thing to say is, um, it is interesting to note that Jesus uh, used the word kynaria, which means more like puppy. <laughs> Often used to refer to a lap dog or a pet, distinct from a stray dog, a Manky, skanky, hachi, stray dog. I threw in the word hachi just to, that's my attempted at Afrikaans. Is it even Afrikaans? <laughs> Sorry, it's not even Afrikaans. So the commentator said, you know, it's just, it was a nice dog. I, I don't buy it. You know that line in Notting Hill? Nice try, gorgeous, but I don't, I don't buy it. It's, it's, again, back to my sons. We had to tell one of them a little while ago, you, you are not allowed to call your brothers idiots. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. An hour later, we hear, stop it, you idiot! <laughs> so we call him in. He said, I didn't call, I didn't call them idiots. I called them idiots. You know, it's like if you didn't call her a dog, you called her a puppy. It's, it's, it's not much better. But we know that Jesus never sinned, was never mean, never got stuff wrong, was totally kind. So what's going on here? A good question to ask is how come the woman didn't get offended? How come she acquiesced? to being called a dog. She said, okay, I'm a dog. And she was crying. I'm not being frivolous. This was a poignant moment. But she acquiesced to being called a dog. What was going on? I think what was going on was something like this. And you know, whenever you come across a passage of Scripture that isn't very clear, you use passages of Scripture that are clear to help explain less clear passages. We know that Jesus was kind, never sinned, and so on. And interestingly, the Bible tells us that we, spiritually speaking, are like dogs or even worse than dogs. And this was a spiritual encounter. Salvation, I know there was the healing of the daughter, but salvation was in play here. Jesus was talking about his spiritual ministry, which did include things like physical healing, spiritual ministry to the Jews. And he said, it's not your time for a meal yet. She's saying, no, it is. It is. It can be not a full meal, but just a few crumbs. It's a spiritual thing. I think what was happening is when she was face to face with God in human form, the sinless Christ in human form, I think when you're humble and before Christ like that, 
When he calls you something, you don't dispute it. Because it's coming with love. It's coming with authority. And I think before a holy Jesus, she knew that being called a dog was probably about right. And certainly the Bible says that in our pre-Christian state, our pre-believing in Jesus, our pre-forgiven, pre-born-again state, we are, spiritually speaking, in terrible shape, much worse than dogs. Here are a few things that the Bible says we are in our pre-forgiven, pre-Christian state. Sinful corpse. That's worse than a dog. Uh, darkened. Ignorant, worthless, mouthful of venom. That's AKA you're a snake. Throat an open grave. Deserving of death. If you're thinking, explorers of Christianity, if you're thinking, I don't deserve to be called any of those things. And how could Jesus call a dog? I'm not a dog. May I respectfully say to you that you are living in unreality about your state before a holy God. Oprah Winfrey and friends say on their show repeatedly, humans are essentially good. The Bible says humans are essentially bad. The Bible says we're sinners twice over. We're born sinners. We're born with the Adamic DNA of sin in us, which is why your kid, when he or she is four or five months old, knows how to sin. Yeah, sure, we have good days, but we're inherently sinful. And then the Bible says, not just born sinners, we're deliberate sinners. There's no, no one righteous, no, not one. Born sinners and deliberate sinners. The message of the gospel is that you and I are way worse than we thought we were. That's, that's the first thing. If you're considering Christianity, you, you need to take this one on the chin. You are way worse. You didn't think you were a dog. You are, you are a skanky, manky, hachi dog, <laughs> spiritually speaking. You're much lower than you thought. And God is much kinder than you thought. You are way less deserving than you ever thought. And God is way more merciful than you ever thought. And this word from Joe, a prophetic word, is God speaking often spontaneously to us. It's usually earthed in scripture of some kind or some biblical truth, but it's God speaking to us in the moment. And Joe's word is there's a tap of God's mercy and grace. But if you think you, you, you don't need water, you're not going to get under that tap. Way worse, way kinder. Spurgeon, the great London preacher, he said this, your ruin is your argument for mercy. Your, your poverty is your plea for heavenly arms. Your need is the motive for heavenly goodness. Now, sinner, learn this art. Do not paint thyself in bright colors but own thyself to be lost and ruined. Woof. And then, still adhering to Christ, 
make thy very wants and needs and death and ruin to be an argument why the Lord of mercy should show his mighty power in thee. Did you get that? Old-fashioned English, but potent. He's saying, like this woman, happily acquiesce to being a dog. Don't dispute your pedigree. If you dispute your pedigree, you don't get crumbs of grace. You don't have a master. But if you say, yeah, I am a dog, that makes you my master, and there's bread on your table, then mercy comes to you. But dress thyself not in bright colors. This woman was brilliant. She did what Spurgeon said 2,000 years ago. She said, yeah, I haven't got bright colors. This is me. Woof. And Jesus just says, candidate for forgiveness. Candidate for grace. No bright colors. Canine, yep. Candidate for grace. (laughs) And and it, it gets more amazing. The Bible teaches that in the moment these crumbs of grace brush our lips. Woof brush our lips, in that moment, a phenomenal miracle occurs, greater even than healing a daughter, the miracle of re-DNAing, regeneration, new creation, the old is gone, the new is gone, as crumbs of mercy and forgiveness touch our lips, we're not just forgiven, the Bible says we are made new, John 1 verse 12, yet all who received him, who received these crumbs of grace. To those who believed in his name, who believed that they were way worse than they originally thought, and he was way kinder than they originally thought. To those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children. You go from dog to child. You don't just get a daughter healed. When crumbs of grace and forgiveness, you become a whole new species. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the old has gone, the new has come. Children of God. We don't stay as dogs. We become children of God. You might say, you might say this, is just, this, is, this is just typical Christian stuff. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Are you telling me I need to do nothing except believe? Exactly. But you're right, it's not free. Jesus paid for this lunch. Jesus paid with his blood. The Bible, God, God says, where there's sin, there must be death. That's the punishment for sin. You get forgiveness free because Jesus paid for it. He, he paid for it on the, on the cross with his body represented by bread and his blood represented by wine or by grape juice. And Jesus said, take this often. He said, don't forget, don't get mixed, don't get mixed up on this. I took death that you would never die. And that this, is the, this is the glory of the gospel, that there was a child at the table. The Bible speaks of heaven. One of the metaphors of heaven is, is the table of God, the feast of God. And there was a child, in fact, the child, there was a son, the son of God, who came down from the table of heaven to the kennel of earth. And the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 21, it says, He who knew no sin, the sinless son, became sin. He became the dog of all dogs. Taking on him the dog sin of the world, of us dogs, he became sin. 
The son became the dog. Why? So that us dogs might become sons. Us dogs might become children. There was a great exchange. The dog, the child became a dog that us dogs might become children. It's the miracle. Didn't Dave uh, Kettles, after one of these songs, he prayed, and it was such a nice prayer. It was just like, this is amazing. The stuff we're singing is amazing. This anthem of salvation is amazing. And it was brilliant. This gospel is amazing. The son becomes the dog, that us dogs might become sons and children at the table. It's, it's startling. It, Emeth said about Aslan in the last battle. Remember, Aslan is a type of Christ. Emeth says, and this is the marvel of marvels, that he called me beloved, me who am but as a dog. Thomas Cranmer's prayer from the first book of Common Prayer. Let's just say this out loud together. We do not presume to come to this thy table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy, to turn that tap of mercy on. And we're going we're gonna to come to the table not trusting in our own righteousness. If you're a Christian, you come not trusting in your own righteousness, but in his righteousness. These crumbs of grace that have turned us from dogs to sons. We approach God's table. I want to see a bit of a swag. In the I know this humility, but you're a son of God. Don't come woof, woof. You're no longer a dog. The, don't go away thinking we're dogs. That's not the message of this. The message is we're sons. We're forgiven. That's how we approach. And if you're, still, if you're a believer, uh, if, you're, if you're not yet a believer, why don't you become a believer tonight? You need to approach Jesus with perseverance, but you need to lock onto Jesus' power. He is the one to forgive you of your sins, past, present, and future, and lock onto Jesus' mercy and his grace. You don't deserve forgiveness. He will give it to you because it's his nature to have mercy. And you know, believers, we don't keep becoming Christians each week. But whenever we approach Jesus, say for a need, for our daughter to be healed, for our spouse to become a believer, to, for whatever it is, we still come perseveringly with whatever your need as a believer. You, you still approach in the same way a, a non-believer becomes a believer as he approaches Jesus. You approach with perseverance. You lock onto Jesus' power and you lock onto Jesus' grace. Jesus, help me in this situation. Change this situation in my life. So actually, we're, we're believers and unbelievers. We're approaching the table in the same way. Unbelievers, you're approaching to become a Christian. Only take communion if in the next minute you're saying, Jesus, cleanse me of my dogness. Forgive me of all my dog sin. Turn me into a child of God. Forgive me of my sins, past, present, and future. Because the Bible says that this meal is for those who believe. So believe, then take communion. If you're not ready to believe, don't take communion. And for those who already believe, let's eat and drink. Let's grateful ones. And as, as you do, this is what I do. I mean, you, you do it how you like, but I remember the cross. So thank, thank you for the great exchange. I'm no longer a dog. Use dog language tonight, okay? 
whenever we take communion, use fresh language. Thank you, I'm not a dog. Through you becoming the dog, I've become a child. Thank you for your blood shed and your body broken. And then I will, I will just add in, and Lord, thank you that the, your, the power of your cross is sufficient in this situation in my life. I start with my great salvation, but then I apply the cross to this situation. Thank you that you, you, you can change my attitude towards him or her. Thank you that you can heal because of all that you accomplished at the cross. Thank you for, I thank him for the salvation and then also use, bring, it, bring the cross to bear on the various aspects of my life that God also wants to graciously be involved in. So unbelievers, in fact, let's just close our eyes. If, if, you're not, if tonight... If tonight, for the first time, you've understood that spiritually speaking, you're a dog and you need forgiveness, then I just want you to slip up your hand. I'll be the only one who sees it. Just put it up for three seconds and put it down again. If, you, if you're saying tonight, I want to cross the line of faith, I want to put my faith in Jesus, like this woman did, <laughs> I want to move from dog to child. Just slip up your hand. This will help you. Great. Hands going up. That's good. Any, that's wonderful. Anybody else? Putting your hand up is not what's making you become a Christian, but I'm telling you, tomorrow morning, you won't, you'll think your mind was playing tricks on you. And the fact that you put up your hand, say, no, I did. I believed. I believed. Put my faith in Jesus. You men and women who've put your hands up, just say in your heart a prayer something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. You can put your hands down. Just pray this prayer. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you are truly Lord. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. I commit myself to you. Amen. Lord, we pray for these men and women. Thank you for them. Lord, thank you for this miracle of moving from dogs to children. Thank you for your mercy. And we pray that they'd make rapid progress in their faith. And Lord, as they take their first communion, we pray that they would know something of the joy of their salvation. That Jesus, you took the punishment of death that they might never die. They'd have eternal life forever and no peace with God. And Lord, I just, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to help us now as we eat this meal just briefly. We'd, we'd sense your pleasure, your forgiveness. We'd know the joy of being children at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, the band's just going to play a bit and we can sing, but let's just approach with humility, with gratitude, with a bit of swag because, you're, man, you've been rescued. And let's eat this meal of uh, salvation. It's all across the front. Just come. You can take it back and eat it in your, your chair. You can eat it at the front. Eat it in your own time. Drink in your own time. We won't say any more on it. But thank him for his body broken and his blood shed. What a savior we have. You stood before creation.
You might want to take communion with, with a friend. Maybe just each sh- say a short prayer of gratitude. You might have already taken it alone. That, that's fine. Let's just keep our eyes on Jesus. Eat and drink gratefully. What a savior. How sufficient he is. know um, when we read a passage of like this of being face to face with Jesus uh, as people with real needs current needs it would be inappropriate for us not to pray for those needs some of us have daughters sons and as you've been listening tonight you've just been thinking this is me as a parent about my kids some of you've got friends colleagues, you've got a situation in your life, you're sick I don't know what it is we need, to, we need to do what this woman did, we need to, yeah sure from this meeting onwards we need to be persevering and trusting Jesus power and grace but now let's do what this woman did she, she just crashed in she crashed in and said help Jesus help me and we want to do that together, we want to pray for one another we want to with you bring your needs to Jesus so we're going we're gonna to close the meeting in about a minute or two. But I just want to give people a chance to come forward. And this is family, right? I know you're a church who really believes in family. So I just want to invite, if you need prayer, just, just come over there to the front. We'll have some prayers. And we have some people who are comfortable praying for people as well to come. Please just come to the front on this side. Let's just all stand together. We'll sing a bit. And whilst we're singing, just with a verse in the chorus, if you just want to come... And you're coming in faith. And we're going to pray with you. You'll, you'll have someone praying with you just, just on either side here. And uh, Jesus will answer prayer. We've seen him. He's, he's, a, he's a God who answers. Okay, let's sing a bit. Just come quickly to the front. And we can help you pray for your situation. Thanks, God. Just be coming. Just to that side and this side. Your spirit Bring these things to Christ. Right. Yeah, just just go to either side. Just a bit quieter at the sides. 
prayer. Just can you pop up your hand so we get a prayer to you? So we've got a couple of ladies, a gentleman here. If we can have some prayers, please. As far as possible, let's have men praying for men and women, women praying for women. We need another guy praying here. If you're a leader of any sort, you're comfortable playing, praying, please come and help. Anyone hasn't got a... Just raise your hand if you haven't got someone to pray for you yet. That's great. We need a, a gentleman over here, a lady here. Good. We'll get to you if you're not yet being prayed for. We, we're going to... Matt. <laughs> Matt's busy praying for someone. Is it all, Can I just close the meeting? What do you want to say? <laughs> Thanks, mate. There's three options, okay? You're either being prayed for or praying with someone. Or you can worship for another few minutes. Uh, or we can can be moving outside. If you're moving outside, the rest of us will be with you in two or three minutes anyway, but we're doing a, a fade out end of this meeting. Not an abrupt one, a fade out one. So you're free to head outside, but we're going to remain praying and worshiping just for two or three more minutes. God bless you.